shall be loved. The beginning, the middle, and the end. The beginning by Carl Marking. To tell Shelby's story, I first have to tell a bit of my own. My first husband decided he wanted to split and go his own way when I was 34. We'd been together for eight years. We had two dogs together, Petunia Ann, who he had when we met, and Acadia Summer, who we rescued while on vacation in Maine one year after having spent the day hiking in Acadia National Park. While we got our home ready to put on the market, we lived separate lives in separate bedrooms, and I adopted a puppy from the SPCA just before my 35th birthday. I named her Olive Eve after the children's Christmas story, Olive, the Other Reindeer. She'd been left at the SPCA in a cardboard box with her littermates on Christmas Eve. It seemed a fitting name. We sold our house and went our separate ways. Within a year and a half, we reconciled and bought a new place together. He didn't spend a single night in the same room with me, and in a matter of days told me that he'd made a mistake, that he had never loved me, and that he wanted to sell the house and go his own way. I was devastated. For various reasons, we stayed in that house as unwilling roommates while I finished a renovation and waited for the market to recover so we could sell and have some money in our pockets for our troubles. Petunia developed terminal cancer, and we had to euthanize her midway through our time there. Our vet, Brenda, came to the house and did the procedure. She'd been caring for Petunia for over a decade. The grief we shared over her illness and death allowed us the opportunity to process our failed relationship, and we found our way through our hurt and resentment and anger to friendship. All told, it took just shy of 18 months to finish the updates and for the market to rebound. We sold our second home, and when it came time to move out, he announced his plan to take Olive. Acadia and Olive had formed a deep bond. Acadia had always been my shadow, and I adored her. Olive was a rambunctious thing, more legs than body, and more than twice Acadia's size. She had a sweet disposition and loved everyone. Although I was inwardly outraged that my ex felt entitled to take her from me, I didn't have any fight left and didn't want to separate her from Acadia. We both ended up buying houses in the same small city we'd been living in, and I knew I'd get to see the dogs all the time, which took the sting out of letting them go. And so, I let go. The house I bought was a long-neglected, two-story arts and crafts bungalow that needed to be saved. I moved in the month before my 39th birthday. Having spent more than the last 12 years of my life living with the constant companionship of dogs, being in my new home without another heartbeat was a lonely experience. On my birthday, I went to the SPCA to look around and ended up adopting a puppy with a golden reddish coat. I named her Willow, after Allison Hannigan's character on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. At the end of my first year of renovations, I got out of bed one morning and as soon as I stood up, it felt as if someone had driven spikes through both my feet. I shouted in surprised pain and sat back on the bed. I saw multiple doctors, had x-rays and MRIs but they revealed nothing, and no one could find anything to solve. I lived with the pain. It was relentless and informed every action I took, all day and evening, until I would go to bed again and find some relief, only for the pain to resume the next morning, and the next. There were mornings I'd sit on the edge of my bed, tears welling in my eyes in anticipation of the pain I knew was coming as soon as I'd stand, but inevitably my bladder and my responsibility to Willow would force me into action. As time went forward, the sensation was joined by the feeling of red-hot bands around my ankles. 
I could barely mow my lawn, and walking Willow had become an act of will and perseverance. Much of Willow's regular exercise now came in the form of playing with Acadia and Olive at my ex's house. Then someone fired shots in the intersection beside his house one night. He called me the next morning in a panic, and I came over to help him check for damage. That's when I noticed the bullet impression in his front door. He found the shell on his porch. Within weeks, he decided to move to upstate New York. He left that August, and so did Willow's exercise network. Between work, home maintenance, and the sudden decline of my physical ability, I didn't feel I was the best company for Willow. I was a poor substitute for the pack we'd lost. I had a good-sized, fenced yard, but Willow wasn't inclined to run on her own, and she wasn't one to play fetch. She was more the, you-can-go-get-that-yourself kind of dog. She was about to turn three, and I began to consider getting another dog to be both packmate and playmate for her. She was a stubborn girl, and I thought a puppy would make for an easy transition into our family. It took me another six months to make my decision that it was time. I'd recently met a couple at a dinner party, one of whom, Patrick, managed an animal shelter and adoption center. Having made my decision to adopt, I reached out and he encouraged me to come to the shelter. I made the hour-long trip the Friday before my 42nd birthday. When I arrived, he encouraged me to look around on my own. It was a fairly mild day for March. There were dogs both in and outside the shelter in their kennel runs. I went through the adoption area, but there were no puppies. There was a door off the main adoption area marked Staff Only, with additional dogs. What good is it to know the manager if you can't break a few rules, I thought. I entered the area and looked around. The dogs were either in active distress or disinterested. I walked along the runs and came to one with a small, emaciated black dog with yellow fur on her paws and chest, bloody holes in both her button-style ears, amber eyes and swollen teats. She sat there, staring blankly into space. I knelt in front of the kennel, motionless, and considered her. I realized in hindsight I had chosen impulsively when I adopted Willow. She was absolutely gorgeous and looked like a dog you'd see on a can of puppy food. She had a reddish-gold double coat of thick, fluffy fur, mahogany eyes, white puppy teeth, and a bright pink tongue. But when I picked her up and held her in my arms, she instantly tried to escape me. When she settled down, she looked everywhere but at me. I learned as time unfolded those were signs of us not being the best match. I didn't regret adopting her. I just wished I had picked up on those indicators at the time as they foreshadowed how our relationship would come to unfold as she matured. I didn't want to make the same mistake when choosing my next dog, so this dog's disinterest in me telegraphed that perhaps we wouldn't be the best fit. I stood to move on to the next run. As I stepped away, she slowly lifted her front right paw, reached out to me, and rested it on a cross piece of the kennel door. She didn't look at me as she did it, but that gesture let me know she at least knew I was there. I finished walking around and went back to the mobile home that served as Patrick's office. See anything you liked in the adoption center? No, I had my heart set on a puppy for Willow. She's so willful. I figure it will make for an easier pairing. You missed a whole run of puppies over the last month or two. All we have now are adults. I saw. Well, I can let you know the next time we have any pups, he offered. Actually, what's up with the skinny black and yellowish dog in the employee-only section? The section you weren't supposed to go in? Yeah, that one, I smiled. She's a rescue from the south. There was a shelter rated for 80 animals that was shut down for hoarding. Hoarding? They had hundreds of animals. Wow. 
They were stacked in cages, defecating on each other for who knows how long. When they shut the place down, it was either kill them or find shelters to take them in and try and place them. It happens all the time. We agreed to take a handful. We take on lots of dogs in the South. The whole eastern seaboard does. I considered how traumatizing that must have been, and wondered what had become of the puppies she'd clearly had. No wonder she had such a flat affect. She's not black and yellow, by the way. She's black and white, or will be when she's cleaned up and her next coat grows in. I must have looked surprised. Which, by the way, is why we don't let the public back there. Making them look good isn't our first priority. Understood. I'm sorry. I hadn't considered that there'd be a process for getting an animal ready to be seen, but it made sense. It's fine, he said and waved his hand. But she won't be available for adoption for a while. What does that mean? The thought of her stuck in a shelter any longer than she'd already been made my heart hurt. We'll have to find a medical foster for her. What's that? We have people who will take on the responsibility of nursing a dog back to health until it's ready for adoption. They work with our vets here, we supply the medication, and they supply the time and care. It's a shame you don't live closer, or I'll do it, I said, cutting him off. Seriously? You don't even know what's wrong with her. I knew whatever it was wouldn't matter to me. My days were empty, but I had so much love to give. I kept replaying how she put her little yellowed paw out toward me. With the additional context of what her life had been like before arriving at this shelter, it resonated with me. I believed her small gesture of vulnerability was probably a Herculean effort under the circumstances of her life. What's wrong with her? He got her file. Let's see, she's a border collie mix of some sort and came in with four other dogs, all in similar condition. Oh, one had the worst case of heartworms her vets had ever seen. They did an autopsy and... He stopped talking as he read the report. It was pretty bad, he summarized. The vet assumes she is at the same level of disease given her outward condition. We haven't done much testing, so if you take her in, you need to know she may die while in your care. This only strengthened my resolve. What's up with her ears? He checked the file. Probably fly strike. What's fly strike? It's common in southern dogs. Flies bite at the dog's ear and feed off the blood. The dogs scratch holes in their ears trying to fend off the flies. The wound attracts more flies, and the female flies lay their eggs in the wounds. Then the maggots start. It's a vicious cycle. Sweet Jesus, I thought. If you're serious about it, you need to fill out some paperwork to get registered as a medical foster. We'll supply everything. Food, a kennel for your house. Why a kennel? I'd never been a fan of kenneling or crating dogs. It's our protocol for medical fosters. The kennel helps restrict her movement when you're not around. It's safer for her, given her illness and the fact that you have another dog in the house. In general, we ask that you keep them separate as much as possible until we have a full assessment of her condition. It also helps limit Willow's chances of catching anything communicable. What's her name? Shelby. I'd never used the name given to a dog by a shelter. I'd always felt it was somehow bad luck. How'd you come up with that? The group that rescued her is located in Shelby, Mississippi. Well, that's appropriate, I thought. I'll walk you back to the adoption building and you can fill out the medical foster paperwork. Make an appointment to bring Willow in on Monday so we can be sure they'll get along, and if all goes well, you can take Shelby home with you then. As we walked over to the main building, he said, Shelby can't be allowed off-leash until she completes her treatment for the heartworms. Her heartworm is probably advanced, and there's a risk she could have a stroke or a heart attack while being treated. If you change your mind, we'll understand. My mind flashed back to her stained paw resting on the kennel door. I won't change my mind. All the information I was learning motivated me to get her out of that kennel run as quickly as possible. I filled out the paperwork and drove home.
I spent the weekend preparing my house and yard for Shelby's arrival and told a handful of friends what I'd decided to do and why. When I got to the shelter with Willow on Monday, everything went fine and I met with the animal care manager. They'd done blood work to determine her load of heartworm larvae and had started her on heart guard. I was given all the things, the kennel, bedding, food, a collar, and a leash, and they helped me get everything loaded into my Saturn SUV. Willow managed to look simultaneously put out and glad to be back in the car and not left behind at the shelter. As we drove off, she glared at me in the rearview mirror. Get over it, Willow. You have a sister now, I said to her reflection. Within minutes of leaving the shelter, Shelby began dry heaving, then vomited. I'd planned ahead and brought spare blankets and paper towels. I pulled into a small business park and opened the back hatch. She had drooled so much in that short time, her bedding was soaked. Unfazed at being partially covered in her own vomit, I did my best to clean her up. She stood perfectly still, looking off into space, dissociated from the moment. You're a sweet thing, aren't you? I asked. I can't wait to meet the actual you one day. Willow, generally fastidious in her hygiene, looked on, disgusted. Oh, your sister's all right, I said, closed the hatch, rolled down my windows, and resumed the trip home. When we got home, I kept Shelby on her leash and led her to the gate that opened into the backyard. She stopped at the gate, not understanding what to do. It's okay, Sweet Pea. This is your yard now. I was going to tell Willow to show Shelby what to do, but Willow impatiently pushed by us both and stood at the back porch storm door waiting for me to let her in. Shelby followed Willow's lead. I opened the storm door and Willow proceeded to the back door, but Shelby stopped again, not knowing what to do. She seemed unwilling to walk through the doorway and into the enclosed back porch that was the same level as the yard. I got her through the door and opened the back door to the kitchen, which was one step up from the porch. Come on, sweetie. Let's go inside. She stood there, nothing behind her amber eyes. She was an empty shell. Let's get you cleaned up, I said. I scooped her up and carried her into the first floor bathroom. Willow, hearing me draw a bath, disappeared immediately. I could have spot-cleaned Shelby, but I wanted to give her the gift of getting the smell of the shelter out of her fur. Leaning over her in the tub made my feet feel as if they were on fire, but it needed to be done. Okay, Shelby, this is a bath. I switched the water from the tub spout to the shower wand and let it come to temperature. No reaction. She stood there, facing the faucet, in silent resignation. I know, they're no fun, I said, but you made a bit of a mess and no one as pretty as you should smell this bad. As I bathed her, I narrated what I was doing as I was doing it. No eye contact from her. No reaction. She kept her head low and stared at the faucet. It's okay, honey. You'll get there. I rinsed her off with a shower wand. The runoff water ran brown and circled the drain that was rapidly getting clogged with fur. Finished, I lifted her out of the tub and onto a towel on the floor and waited for the inevitable shake to toss the water from her coat. Nothing. She just stood there averting her gaze, the water dripping onto the towel. Go ahead, Shelby. Give me a shake, I encouraged. Nothing. It's okay, sweetie, I said as I knelt on the floor next to her and dried her off as gently as I could, her ears leaving bloody marks on the white towel as I patted them gently dry. Oh, honey, I said. We'll get those ears fixed up in no time. That first day, I focused on making her comfortable and getting her settled into a routine as much as possible. She refused the water-cooler-style dispenser in the kitchen, so I put two separate water containers on either side of it, a round ceramic dish, and a square plastic container. She would only drink from the square container or from the water bottle hung on the wall of her kennel. 
as long as she's drinking, I thought. The first meal I gave her, she instantly threw up. Well, that's no good, I said and cleaned it up. As I cleaned, she looked around the kitchen, not fixing her gaze on any particular thing. She always seemed focused on the mid-ground, at nothing, as if life had nothing to offer. I offered her more food, but she refused it. She was painfully thin. In an effort to prime her interest, I stuck my finger in the gelatinous goo that was her canned food and put it to her lips. She tentatively licked it. I repeated this process until she started eating from the bowl. Shortly after she finished, she threw up again, and again looked off into space as I cleaned. We'll figure this out, Shelby. The first three days were pretty good. She seemed to be housebroken, which surprised me given her history. On the fourth day, all bets were off, and my days and nights became filled with accidents as she tried to learn what it was to live in a house, and I tried to learn her cues and rhythms for when she needed to go out. I was working 50 hours a week at my full-time job, and spending another 20 to 30 hours a week in my recently elected role of city councilman. I was fortunate to be able to work from home, and she never lacked for company, attention, or care. I noticed she was constantly pawing at her ears, and emailed the shelter's care coordinator. I think Shelby has ear mites, not ear strike. She's scratching at her ears constantly. Originally, I assumed her wounds were healing over, but having watched her for the past few days, I think they're actually forming. Rather than make her suffer the hour-long drive to the shelter, can I donate the treatment and take her to my local vet of 15 years? I don't mind coming to you, but she does not tolerate car travel well. I'm trying to minimize any trauma for her. You had mentioned you partner with a vet clinic in Longwood. That would also work, as it's about the same distance as my vet. He replied that it was fine for me to take her to my vet, and reminded me to take her paperwork in case the vet needed anything. He then also shared with me that one of the other dogs that had come in with her had died shortly after they had begun his treatment. He said, We're waiting to see how she responds to the heart guard treatment before investing in x-rays because there would be multiple images, and they're expensive. On the way to the vet, Shelby threw up. I pulled over and cleaned it up. When I arrived and opened the hatchback, she was again drooling excessively. I put her on the ground, and she stood there, motionless. She wouldn't budge. I scooped her up and carried her inside. My feet were killing me. And who do we have here? Brenda asked when we'd gotten into an exam room. This is Shelby. I gave her what little information I had. Shelters have limited dollars, and I was in a financial position to intervene and ensure that she had the best possible outcome I could afford. I asked her to do a basic physical. Did they take any x-rays? She flipped through the notes. They helped show the extent of an adult heartworm infestation. They told me one of the dogs that came in with her died after they started its heartworm treatment. After the autopsy, the vet said it was the worst case he'd ever seen. They're working from the assumption that Shelby and the others that came in with her are equally sick and are waiting to see how she responds to the heart guard before spending the money on x-rays. Beyond simple blood work, I don't think they've done much. Because they expect her to die, she said point blank. I'll hold off on the x-rays too. I was taken aback by the frankness of her comment. She kept everything to a basic exam and a couple additional blood draws. How's her diet? They sent me home with food, but she throws up most every time. She managed to keep down breakfast, but threw it up on the way here. We can do blood work to rule out some things that may be upsetting her stomach. In the meantime, we can send you home with some sensitive diet food if you want to try that. It's prescription, so it costs more. One of the things I had come to appreciate about Brenda over the years was her pragmatism. She didn't sugarcoat. She didn't try and hide costs. And she successfully walked the line between animal and beloved family member. She knew when to push, and she knew when to pause. How are her bowels? Watery, full of mucus, but somewhat formed. She looked at the foster care data sheet again, 
They started the heart guard just last week. It looks as if they treated her for intestinal worms at the end of January. You may want to have them test her again. Southern dogs can have serious issues with intestinal parasites. I hadn't put it together until that moment that they'd had Shelby since January. I was suddenly annoyed that even though one of the other dogs that had come in with her had died, they hadn't done much in the way of diagnostics or treatment for her. And I thought Brenda was right. They did expect her to die. Let's take a look at these ears, she said and lifted one of her half-folded button ears and looked inside. Oh my, well she has ear mites, and lots of them. No wonder she scratched holes in her ears. She proceeded to clean out both ears as best she could. How do you want to proceed? Do you want to pay for her meds for her ears or go through the rescue? I'll pay for them. If it's not okay with them, I'll just donate the cost. It's more important to me that she gets relief. She prescribed eardrops and explained how to use them. She also prescribed an ointment and instructions for how to treat her wounds. As she left the room for her next appointment, she called back, You do like a challenge, don't you? I looked at Shelby, who looked a bit miserable from having her ears invaded and cleaned. I sure do, I said. I bought a case of the sensitive stomach food, and we headed home. Brenda called the next day with her blood work results. The larval load isn't as bad as I'd anticipated, given what you said. Even though she's only been on heart card since last week, it seems to be working. Let me know if you need me. And before I could answer, she'd hung up, off to her next test result phone call. I emailed the care coordinator with an update. I took Shelby to my vet for her ear scratching. It was ear mites, after all. She had a pretty good batch in both ears. I got them cleaned out and have medication now for both the mites and the wounds on her ears. For my own peace of mind and to understand her present state, I had the doctor run through a heartworm screen, which I'll pay for. The good news is her larval load is low. Her heart sounded good, temperature was fine, and the vet explained the overall heartworm treatment protocol. Start with something like heart guard to kill the larvae, sterilize the adults, stabilize the animal, then treat to kill the adults. On a side note, Shelby's stool is soft and watery, not quite diarrhea, but close. The doctor suggested I bring in a sample so that you can test for intestinal worms. I know you treated her once already, but there is definitely something off. I'm happy to donate the cost. Let me know how you would like to proceed with the possibility of intestinal worms. I didn't hear back within 24 hours, and given her weight was so low, I decided it was in her best interest to take a stool sample to Brenda. The results came back, and even though she'd been dewormed a month and a half earlier, she still had hookworm and three other types of intestinal parasites. Are you paying for the meds again, or do you want to go through the rescue? I'll cover it. We need to get some weight on her. I'm going to prescribe for both her and Willow so they don't swap things back and forth while we're treating Shelby. The treatment gave them both diarrhea. In our first nine days together, I'd taken Shelby to the vet twice, and she'd been diagnosed with a severe intestinal infestation, ear mites, and had holes in her ears. She vomited and had diarrhea daily, and couldn't put on any weight. On day 12, I was watching TV and absentmindedly scratched my shin. Then again, I looked down. Fleas. I could see them jumping around on the area rug. I hadn't had fleas since I started using Frontline on my dogs in my early 30s. I emailed the shelter and they replied, According to her med sheet, she was given heart card on March 4th, which should provide coverage for fleas and intestinal parasites. I spoke to our vet and you'll need to come to the clinic to get medication. Given Shelby's discomfort with travel, he said you can leave her at home. Well, it's certainly not working on fleas and intestinal parasites in her case, I replied. Although I appreciated the fact he was trying to compromise, I did not like the idea of having a vet treat her without examining her, especially given the lack of care she seemed to have received so far. I was suddenly angry. I emailed Patrick outlining the things they'd missed. The mites, the vomiting, the parasites. 
I read how disappointing it was she'd been rescued from one facility that wasn't caring for her, only to end up in another that seemingly wasn't doing much better considering how long she'd been with them before I came along. I wrote how disappointing it was that they hadn't treated her ear mites and wounds, or her intestinal issues, and noted if she was throwing up for me, she had most certainly been throwing up for them. I was only partially aware how personally I was taking it. It wasn't like me to criticize someone who was doing rescue work for animals, but I'm easily triggered by the suffering of other living things. Patrick handled it perfectly. He shared they'd been dealing with a staffing crisis and promised to make things right, which is all I needed to hear a reason why things were the way they were, and a commitment to make things better. He was as good as his word, and made arrangements with a Longwood vet for the rest of Shelby's care, which made things easier on both of us. To mitigate the fleas, I invested in a Dyson vacuum, and spent the coming weekend working to remove them from the entire house. I had forgotten how insidious they were and difficult to remove. They'd even made it to my bedding on the second floor, where she'd never been. Willow or I had infested the second story. My days became a loop of making sure Shelby was eating and drinking, then cleaning up all the accidents on the other side of her eating and drinking. She had a very sensitive stomach, either from the illness, the medications, or her inherent wiring. No matter what I fed her, it came right back up. I finally figured out to divide her meals in half, breakfast and second breakfast, and in the evening, first dinner and second dinner. Her ear mites and wound care became our bonding catalyst. I would gently clean her ears telling her how beautiful she was, while narrating what I was doing in a soothing tone. I'd apply the medications for the mites and gently rub the base of her ears to work it in. The first time she showed any sign of pleasure was when I was rubbing the medicine into her ears. Next, I'd apply the salve for the holes in her ears and gently rub the healthy tips. She began making more frequent and longer eye contact over the course of those two weeks. By the end of the second week, the mites were gone and she was enjoying quality sleep for the first time since I'd taken her in. By the end of the first month, the holes in her ears had closed. During her first weeks, she showed no interest in running. I don't think she had the strength for it, either from her illness or from being inactive for so long. I would attach a lightweight leash to her collar and watch as she explored the yard. The first time she went out, without me holding her leash, she immediately went under the first shrub she could find and laid down, as far in as she could and would not come out. Eventually I had to reach in, take hold of her collar, and I had to gently drag her out from under the shrub. By the end of the first month, she'd gained some confidence, and when I let her out without holding her leash, she would lie in the open yard, on her left side, and bask in the warmth of the sun. My backyard was divided almost in half by my one-car garage. I'd left her out one morning and had to take an unexpected work call. She'd never left the area of the yard closest to the kitchen. After my call, I couldn't find her. Shelby! Shelby! I called, panicked. Willow came running into the yard from the house to see what she was missing, but no sign of Shelby. I scanned all the shrubs along the fence line as I walked into the back section of my yard on the far side of my garage. Years earlier, I had a century-old silver maple taken down and had left some of the larger rounds as accents around the perimeter of the yard. In the corner of the fence, closest to the driveway, there she was lying atop a round that was about 18 inches high and 2 feet in diameter. Her back was toward the eastern corner of two sections of the picket fence, so she had an unencumbered western view of the lawn. Her sleek black fur was shining in the afternoon sun. Her amber eyes were partially closed to the direct light. She was holding her head up, surveying the yard, with her two front paws crossed, one over the other, dangling over the edge of the round. 
Look at you, I said. Such a lady. She looked at me, made brief tentative eye contact, and wagged her tail, just a little. There you are, I said, meaning there was finally a glimmer of the real her showing from inside her warm amber eyes. Hello, Shelby, I called gently as I closed the distance between us and massaged the base of her ears and gently scratched the sides of her muzzle. She leaned into my scritches and gave another quick tail wag. As we got her intestinal worms under control, she began to put on some weight, and her coat became fuller and shinier. The fur on her chest and paws was still yellowed, but her pitch-black coat glistened in the sun, which she could not get enough of inside or out of the house. She also began showing interest in trying to rush ahead, and would slightly pull on her leash when I took her out. Although I knew I wasn't supposed to, I decided one day to let her off her lead for just a couple minutes. What good was it to be free from the horrors she had endured if she wasn't able to use her body as it regained some strength? She charged into the backyard looking something like a muppet. Her legs, unused to running, kicked outward in all directions as she ran to the garage. She stopped, and I quickly reconnected her leash to her collar. She seemed satisfied with her short trip and was panting lightly, her pink tongue hanging out the side of her pitch-black muzzle. I had a TV room in the back corner of my house across from the kitchen. It had two windows, one looking into the backyard and another looking into the side yard. Willow and I would hang out together on the sofa, but Shelby would not enter the room. I think she feared being cornered. She'd been with us for weeks and finally, tentatively, came into the den and jumped up onto the sofa next to Willow. They began to play and roll around with each other. I was a bit alarmed to see Willow could fit Shelby's entire head into her mouth, but the two of them were bonding and I let them sort it out. They both sneezed from all the headbutting, and Shelby jumped down and found a comfortable spot on the floor. After that, she was over her anxiety of entering the room and came to discover the joy of standing at my back window to watch the birds and squirrels while enjoying the afternoon sun. One evening the following week, I made a bag of microwave popcorn to watch a movie. I sat down in the TV room, and I realized I'd forgotten my drink. I set the bag of popcorn on the sofa, and when I reached the kitchen, I heard distressed noises coming from the den. I ran back to find the popcorn dumped on the floor, and Shelby backed into a corner, bucking wildly, trying to dislodge the popcorn bag that covered her entire head. She was fine. Terrified, but fine. I hadn't laughed so hard, and I couldn't remember how long. By the end of her first month, she'd mastered stairs. I decided to let her sleep in bed with Willow and me one night and carried her upstairs with us. The next morning, she tentatively followed Willow down the wooden staircase to the first floor. After that, she was on her own. Up to bed for an afternoon nap, down to the basement for some cool cement floor time. She was even able to jump into the car on her own. Her muscle mass and confidence improved every day. Also by the end of that first month, her chest plate and paws were finally bright white. Her paws, with their jet black toenails, always made her look as if she were ready for a formal night out. By the end of the second month, it was clear Shelby was the superior problem solver of the two. Shelby and Willow both loved the same upholstered chair in the TV room. It was low to the ground, easy to get onto and off of, and faced the back window. When we came into the room together, Willow was always first onto the chair. Whenever Shelby wanted to be on it, she would come over to me, put her front paws on my knees. As soon as I started petting her, Willow would sit up, jealous, jump down from the chair, headbutt Shelby off of my lap, and insist on being petted. As I pet Willow, I'd watch Shelby circle back across the room, jump up onto the chair, and curl up with her back facing the front edge. 
Willow would realize what had just happened and go back and stand in front of the chair. Shelby would ignore her and fall asleep. This routine happened every day, and Willow fell for it without fail. It took four months and multiple rounds of deworming to finally free Shelby of her intestinal worms. Her stool normalized and no more diarrhea. I could finally begin house training. Her personality had also fully emerged by this time, and she had become a playful, loving, empathetic dog with her own preferences and routines. One such routine was the fluffing of the rug. She'd scratch out a pretend nest with her front paws and lie on it. She'd then wiggle around on her spine, rubbing her snout in long strokes with both paws from her forehead to the tip of her nose, vocalizing her pleasure in a range of tones and grunts from high to low and back again. She'd do this several times, sneeze, roll under her left side, and settle down with her pink tongue hanging out. It was her floor show. She was finally beginning to gain some weight. I went into the kitchen one day that fall and saw blotches of bright red blood on the linoleum floor. I called the vet immediately. Congratulations, Brenda said. She's in heat. I'd always adopted dogs from shelters that had either already been spayed or neutered or were fixed before their first heat. This was new to me. Be careful when you let her out. Every intact dog nearby will want to pay her a visit, and I doubt she'd survive a pregnancy. Reach out to the shelter vet and see how they want to proceed. She was spayed a few weeks later and came home with her first cone to keep from chewing her stitches. She was miserable, but stable. Her heartworm treatment took much longer than anyone had anticipated and was hard on her physically. She was listless for days after each treatment and vomiting most everything she ate. It broke my heart to watch her suffer, even though I knew it was for her own good. I felt terrible each time I'd load her into the car for the trip to the vet for her treatments. I disliked being the conduit to such a painful experience for her. I worried whether or not, like her shelter mate, she would die. It was an odd thing to hold, knowingly taking her to treatments that would either cure her or kill her. While she was getting her injections for her heartworms, I was going to a pain clinic about an hour away to get guided injections in my spine in an attempt to mitigate the nerve pain I was experiencing in my feet. Aside from one trip out of about six, I had no one in my life who could drive me which meant I couldn't have any anesthesia or narcotics before or after the injections. Each visit consisted of five to ten shots. Each shot lit up the nerves of my lower extremities like a lightning bolt. Like Shelby, I would arrive home listless and nauseous. A year after she came into my life, almost to the day, I got a call from the Longwood vet. It was a year of no running, no physical exertion, and many vomit, hoo, and drool-filled car trips for her care. She's cleared. No more heartworms. Shelby's okay and ready to run. I took a breath with the intention of saying, that's great news, and instead burst into tears. Thank you, I finally managed to say. Why am I crying? <laughs> Thank you so much for everything. Well, you're crying because you love her. She's a special dog. I hung up the phone. Shelby! I called. She now knew her name. She came trotting happily into the kitchen. And when I looked into her warm, intelligent, clear, amber eyes, I saw a person looking back at me. Shelby Love, that's your name, I told her. I opened the kitchen door and she followed me onto the back porch. I opened the porch door and said the command she loved most in all the world, the command that would largely define the rest of her life. Squirrel. She shot me a quick glance and without hesitation ran into the backyard and looked around excitedly, doing a short spin in place, her hind legs the center point, as she surveyed the yard. I had no idea if there was actually a squirrel, but the odds were in my favor. 
She ran to the garage opposite the porch door and looked to her right. Sure enough, there was a squirrel walking the top of the fence. She gave me another brief look, as if asking for permission, and quickly deciding she didn't need any, she turned her body toward the fence and ran as fast as she could toward that squirrel. After that moment, she never stopped running. That same year, as I stood at my dining room table and reached across for a pair of scissors, I felt something go zip in my low back. The pain in my feet was instantly gone. However, within 10 minutes, I couldn't stand. Within 20, I was lying on the floor in agony. I spent a month flat on my back. I relied on friends and neighbors to keep my life moving while I recovered. Shelby never left my side. As my back healed, the pain in my feet didn't return. I was able to get back to my life, my former level of activity, and my home renovations. Shelby had become my constant companion. Whatever I did, working from home, working in the yard, cooking, cleaning, she was there beside me, guarding me from the dangers of squirrels and keeping me in her watchful gaze. Unless a nap in a tempting pool of light, a squirrel or a delivery truck called her away. Whether it was drives through the countryside, walks through our neighborhood, or hikes in the many nature preserves around us, she and Willow were ready to lead the way for me. We were a pack. When I had people over, Willow always sought attention and hoped to steal a snack from someone when they weren't looking. Shelby, she'd do a quick round, sniff all the guests, accept any affection that was offered, and find a spot on the edge of the scene, curl up on the floor or the ground, and keep a contented watch. When I was alone, she was always nearby, always within easy reach, and on occasions when I had to be out of the house for work or to do things where she couldn't come along, she was always the first to greet me when I got home. She was always happy to see me and always ready to enjoy whatever life was about to bring our way.